Hello, uh, this is Eli Shaubi. Uh, we are now continuing uh, in Hilchot Merila Hanukkah, and we are continuing in the second chapter of uh, of the Halachot. Uh, we said that the first two chapters are dealing with the laws of Purim, uh, so this is the last chapter that we will deal with the laws of Purim, and then tomorrow we will begin the Halachot that deal with Hanukkah. Okay, so. Uh, this chapter, as uh, as well, uh, continues uh, uh, to talk about the proper way of reciting the merila, as well as um, the, how the merila should be written. Uh, many of which those halachot are similar to halachot that we have already seen in Hilchot Tefillin Sefer Torah in Sefer Ahava, which we saw. Uh, a while back, and uh, we will see some of those halachot again here. Okay, uh, and then of course we will end this chapter with dealing with the other misvot that are a part of Purim. Halacha Aleph: Akore et Merila lemafreya lo Someone who recites the Merila, right? Merila tester out of order does not fulfill his obligation. If he recited, he was reciting the Merila and he forgot one Pasuk, he forgot one verse and he accidentally skipped it and he read a second Pasuk, right, the Pasuk that appears after it. Then he goes back and uh, re- and repeats and uh, repeats the pasuk that he accidentally skipped, and then he goes and continues from where he left off at the third pasuk. Right, so um, he's right. So after going back and repeat and saying the first pasuk which he missed, he then goes to the third pasuk which is where he left off from. So this is reading out of order because he read the second pasuk first, the first pasuk second. And then the third pasuk last, uh, and it ended up being that he uh, read the second pasuk out of order. Ela kesad also, matchil mi pasuk shesheni sheshachach lekore al haseder. Rather, what should he do, right? So if he skipped the first pasuk and read the second pasuk, he should go back and recite the first pasuk which he skipped, and then once he finishes it, he should. Repeat the second pasuk again, and continue from there, and, and that way he will not have skipped uh, any of the merila. If he found a uh, congregation, right, a group of people who were reading, who had already read uh, half of the Merila, right, you came in the middle uh, and you had, and they had already finished the first half of the Merila, he should not say that he'll read, he'll recite the second half with this congregation, and then when they finish, he will go back and recite the first half on his own. Uh, because this is reciting out of order. 
Rather, he should recite from the beginning until the end in order, right? Uh, for this reason, uh, people should be very careful to uh, arrive at Beit Knesset before uh, the recitation of the Merilah begins so that they don't uh, end up in this situation where they had already started and you miss even the first Perik, which would be a case of reading it, re uh, re reciting the Merilah out of order. Um, and in which case, you should recite the first part on, uh, uh, and and catch up with the sibur uh, from Amerila. Qara wa shaha ma'at wa hazar wa qara af'al pish shaha kida lirmurat kulla u'il wa qara al-hasadir yasaa If he recited and then he paused for a bit and then he came back and continued to recite, even if he paused a length of time that could, he could have finished reciting the entirety of the Merila in that time period. Uh, right? He paused for an hour, let's say, uh, in between his initial reading and now when he's coming back uh, to read from where he left off. Since he re recited the entirety of the Merila in order, uh, and he did not do it out of order, he fulfills his obligation, even though there is this pause in between. Someone who recites the Merila uh, by heart uh, does not fulfill his obligation. Hello, I is Shishama, Ethamerilla, Haketuva, Bilshon Hakodesh, Uvichthav Kodesh, F Alpish, Eno Yodea, Mahen Omerin, Yesa Ide Hovato. A person who speaks a vernacular uh, other than Hebrew, right? Uh, for example, an English speaker um, who does not know Hebrew. So someone like this who hears uh, the Merilla. Uh, be, uh, here's from a person reciting from a Merila, which is written in Hebrew uh, with Hebrew script, right? So the Hebrew language with Hebrew script, even though he does not know, he does not understand what they are saying, he fulfills his obligation. And so too, if the Merila was written in Greek and he heard it uh, be read in Greek, he fulfills his obligation even if he does not recognize or understand uh, Greek and even if the person hearing was a Hebrew speaker. If it was written in Targum here, it refers to Aramaic, and it was written in the language of the Targumim, of Targum Unkelos, and Targum Yonathan, and so on. Right, so it was written in Aramaic um, or in any other language of the 
languages of the non-Jews, of the Goyim, or of the nations, uh, he does not fulfill his obligation in its recitation unless he understands that same language. And so if he is an Aramaic speaker and hears the uh, Merila uh, be read in Aramaic, then he fulfills his obligation. And this, so here, this uh, uh, this part of the halakha has two uh, ways that it can be read. Um, specifically, this word, bikhtav, Morigafih uh, comments on this on this halakha and says that he that the tradition as he received it from his teachers is that this should be read bakkethav right in the book or in the merila and not bikhtav meaning in the alphabet uh, of that language so in the way that mori gafih would understand this halakha uh, it uh, this this says um, so he so if he hears so as i just said if he hears uh, the merila be read in uh, a language other than Hebrew, which he understands, then he fulfills his obligation so long as, vehu, so long as it is written in the book in that same language, meaning that the Merila is written in that same language that he understands. Uh, and, it does, and he does not requ require it to be written in the alphabet of that same language. Um, I've brought for you an example that he brings. This, for anyone who is on the YouTube page and can see the video, uh, this is a, an example of a merila that was written in Arabic. Uh, it is the translation of Sa'ad Yagaon, and you can see that it is written in Hebrew in the Hebrew alphabet, and it does not have to be in the Arabic alphabet. אבל אם היתה כתובה בכתב עברי וקראה ארמית, אבל אם היתה כתובה בכתב עברי וקראה ארמית לארמי, לא יסה שנמצא זה קורא על פה, וכיוון שלא יסה קורא ידי חובתו, לא יסה השומע ממנו. Right, but if it was written uh, in the מרילה, if it was written uh, in Hebrew, but he recited it in Aramaic for an Aramean, right? Meaning as he was, right, he has a Merila that's written in Hebrew and as he's reading it, he decides to translate it uh, simultaneously with his recitation. He just, he decides to translate it into our, or he's, he's, he does not, he does not read the Hebrew directly, but rather translates it into Aramaic directly uh, for Aramaic, uh, speakers, those Aramaic speakers do not fulfill their obligation uh, because because this ends up being someone who is reciting it by heart um, because the Merila was not written in Aramaic but rather was written in Hebrew. Um, and, and since he does not fulfill his obligation and since the reciter does not fulfill his obligation in, in reciting it, then so too the person hearing from him also does not fulfill his obligation.
If someone who recites the Merila without the proper intention does not fulfill his obligation. Kesav, how uh, what do we mean by uh, what do we mean by this? If he was writing the Merila or he was Doresh the Merila, he was expounding upon the Merila or he was uh, uh, correcting or checking uh, checking for uh, mistakes in the Merila, if he intended to uh, fulfill his obligation in this recitation, then he fulfills his obligation, right? Meaning, uh, so in each of these three cases, right, he is uh, reciting uh, the Merila as he is doing these things, right? So he is writing. Uh, we will see in a bit what this writing is actually referring to, but as he's writing it, as he's writing a Merila, he's also reciting it out loud and therefore ends up reciting the entirety of the Merila, uh, uh, the entirety of the Merila, or he is uh, teaching the Merila, so he is reciting it. And then as he, as he recites it, he explains and then recites, right? So in this way, he also recites the entirety of it uh, from, uh, from a Merila. Or he is checking to see that there are no errors in the Megillah, right? So he's going over it one by one, each uh, pasuk by pasuk, and reciting it out loud, and checking to see that there are no errors that fell into the script. Uh, and if he did not have, right, so if uh, if he did not have intention to fulfill his obligation, then he does then he does not fulfill his obligation. Hara name. And so if he was reciting while he was drowsy, right, he was going in and out of, uh, right, he, he wasn't falling asleep, but he was going in and out of, uh, of uh, kind of half falling asleep, right, he was a drowsy while he was reciting it. Since he did not fall asleep uh, and actually lose consciousness, right, so he fulfills his obligation. Because he can have the proper kavanah as he is not falling, as he did not fall asleep. Alchava, v'med devarim amurim shehamechawen libo bichtivata yasa, b'shem mitkawen l'set bekeri'ah shekara b'sefer shema'atik mimenu b'sha'ah sheukotev. Right. In what case are we referring to that a person who uh, has intention in while right while writing it fulfills his obligation uh, right uh, there is a problem here because we saw that a person who recites the Merila needs to do so from a Merila that is already written so that means that while he is writing it he is not reciting it from a whole Merila so in what case are we referring to that uh, he does fulfill his obligation while writing it. This is referring to a case where he where he intends to fulfill his obligation in reciting from the book that he is copying from it. Right, so he has two 
Merilot, one that is complete and one that he is currently writing. The one that is complete is the one that he is reciting from, and he intends to fulfill his obligation from that recitation. And while he does that, he writes in his new Merila, which he is now uh, composing. Uh, and this is the case where he fulfills his obligation. But if he intended to fulfill his obligation in the recitation of this one, which he is currently writing, he does not fulfill his obligation. Uh, as you cannot fulfill your obligation from a recitation from a book, uh, because you can only fulfill your obligation from a recitation of a from a book that is already entirely written at the time of the recitation. If he if uh, a person was reciting the Merila and he errs in its recitation, so he ended up uh, reciting a uh, faulty recitation, right? He misread uh, a certain word. He still fulfills his obligation because we are not precise. We, we do not demand precision in its recitation. If you recite it standing, uh, whether you recite it standing or recite it sitting, you fulfill your obligation even in a congregation. But uh, a person should not recite it in a congregation uh, while sitting uh, ideally, right? Ideally, he shouldn't do this because of the honor of the congregation. Uh, it is more honorable for him to be standing. If uh, two people recited it, or even ten people recited it simultaneously in unison, right? Uh, everyone was reciting it uh, together at the same time. Uh, yeah, uh, at the same time, the the people reci reciting it uh, fulfill their obligation, and the people who hear from the multiple reciters also fulfill their obligation. And a uh, and a an adult is allowed to recite it uh, with a child and even in a congregation, right? Where you could have thought because the katan and the child is not obligated in the recitation of uh, the Merila, uh, and therefore the person hearing from the Qatan uh, does not fulfill his obligation, that there may have been a problem for the Qatan and an, an adult to be reading them together. So we do not say that that's a problem, we say that that is fine, and the person hearing fulfills his obligation by hearing the adult recite it, even though the child is reciting it with him.
נחחת. אין קוראין בסיבור במרילה הכתובה בין הכתובים. We do not recite in, uh, in a congregation from a מרילה which is written between other כתובים, between other uh, parts of the מקרא, of, uh, of the scriptures, right? Uh, you should not have one large scroll that contains also מרילת אסתר and also, for example, אוהלת or some other uh, part of מקרא. Rather, you should have a מרילה that is specific for um, for Merilatistir. <clears throat> and if he did recite it from such a Merila, he does not fulfill his obligation unless uh, there uh, the the pages of the pieces of parchment of the part of the Merila were larger. Or smaller in some way from the other uh, pieces of parchment that make up this merila, so that there is a um, a distinction that is made, so that you can recognize the difference between the part that is merilat ester from the other ketuvim, the other scriptures that are in this uh, in this uh, scroll. Aval yachid koreba vafilu ena hasera ulo yathera. But an individual, right, so all, everything of what we said was only in a case where he's reciting in a congregation, uh, so that the congregants who see the Merila, see this scroll, understand that the Merila is only this, uh, this uh, separate part. But uh, if it is an individual who is reciting with this Merila, then even if it does not have... Uh, this distinction of smaller or larger uh, pieces of the of the uh, parchment, he fulfills his obligation. Al-Khatet. En kotevin et amerila illa baddeyo al-haggawil o al-haggailaf kesefir Torah. So here we are starting the Al-Khot uh, deal a little bit more with how the merila should be written. Uh, and this should be uh, familiar to those who listened to the halachot and that uh, regarding uh, Sefer Torah uh, back in Sefer Ahava. So we do not write a merila except with deyo. Uh, deyo is uh, with with ink, right? With, uh, with a certain type of ink, which is explained more in detail uh, back in those halachot that I previously mentioned. Um, and it should be al-gevil or al-khelaf, uh, like a sefer Torah. Right? Also back there, we also mentioned uh, the different types of uh, parchment. Right? We had gevil, which is the, uh, 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 the unseparated uh, parchment uh, that is very thick, which can then be separated into two different parts, uh, the thicker part is called qilaf, and the thinner part is called tuchsustus, right? A sefer Torah should uh, ideally be written on gevil, but if it's written on qilaf, it is also a valid sefer Torah. Likewise, the merila should be written on gevil or on, on qilaf, but it should not be written on tuchsustus, uh, 
which is preserved for mezuzot. Wim ketaba beme afsa wekalpantos keshera if he wrote it with me uh, afsa which is a iron gall ink right is uh, the gall is uh, or gall nuts are what are used uh, also for um, for tanning the parchment uh, to make it valid for uh, for use in writing a sefer Torah or or any other uh, of of the things that need to be written on gevil uh, or klav or dosostos, right? So gallnuts are what are used to do the tanning process to make it valid, but they are also used in the process of making ink. Um, and they are part of the process of making dio, which includes uh, gallnuts, but also includes some other things like honey and uh, some other things that you can read back there. Um, right? If he does not use the regular ink, which uh, he says in the beginning of dio, but rather only uses the, this uh, uh, gall ink and palpantos, uh, uh, which is a certain type of salt, of iron salt sulfate, which is also used um, in uh, this process. Um, and it, together with the gall ink, uh, form another type of black uh, ink. Um, so if you use these, then it is uh, valid. The merina is valid. The difference, as we saw back there, between deo and these is that deo uh and can be erased whereas these two uh cannot be erased if he wrote it right he wrote the merila with any other types of dyes or inks uh this is uh, uh this is in, makes it invalid um, and it requires uh, the parchment of the Merila needs to ha have lines be made into the parchment from which uh, you write the letters hanging from them uh, to make them straight lines, to make them more uh, easily read. Right? The Merila must have this sirtut as well. Just like the Torah, just like the Torah, and unlike uh, the Tefillin, which do not require this, as they are closed and they are not meant to be read. But Merila is meant to be read, just like a Torah, and its uh, uh, its uh, um, its leather, right? The leather that is used for the Merila um, does not need to be tanned specifically with the intent of making it a merila right it can be just uh, a leather that was tanned and was meant to be used either for a sefer torah or for uh, some other uh, purpose um, and then it can be used for the merila as well <laughs> If it was written on uh, paper or on leather that was not 
properly tanned, uh, or that it was written by a non-Jew, or by a mean, by uh, some sort, by a specific type of heretic, uh, which was also defined by Rabbeinu in Ilchot Teshuvah, back in Sefer Teoth, this Merila is invalid and cannot be used for recitation on Purim. If the Merila had letters that were uh, kind of smudged or ripped, if their um, if their script is recognizable, um, even if they were the majority of the Merila, right? The ma majority of the Merila was made up of this uh, this uh, smudged or ripped script. This Merila is valid because uh, they are still recognizable and they can be read. But if uh, their script is not recognizable. Then, if it made up, if the majority of the Merila was uh, was whole, was uh, not ripped or not smudged, then it is valid. But if not, if the majority was ripped or smudged, then it is invalid since the majority of the Merila is not uh, recognizable to be read. <laughs> If the scribe skipped uh, certain letters or certain verses of, from the Merila and the person reciting read those specific parts by heart, right, the specific parts that were skipped, he fulfills his obligation, as the majority of the Merila is not like that. The, the Merila needs to be sewn together so that all of its uh, pieces of parchment will make up one scroll. They should not be independent leaves of parchment, uh, which a person uh, picks up and reads one by one. Right? And they should only and they should only be sewn together using um, um, using like tendons, right? Uh, a certain of a, a, uh, what, what holds the muscles uh, together. Uh, so these uh, strong tendons, these are what should be used to sew together the leaves of parchment, the same way that a sefer Torah is sewn together. If he sews it together, not using these gidin, but rather with anything else, then uh, it is invalid. Right, but he does not need, he's not required to sew the entirety of the uh, parchment uh, in the same way that a Sefer Torah is. Rather, 
even if he sows the uh, gidin, uh, three uh, three uh, sowings on one edge, right on the top right, on the top edge, and three in the middle, and three on the bottom. And this way, he connects uh, it connects each piece of parchment uh, just by having the top, middle, and bottom uh, sewn. This is valid uh, because it is only called an iger. It is called a uh, a letter or a pro like a letter that's used for proclamation. It's not a sefer, and it's not like the sefer Torah, which requires that the gidin are sewn along the entirety of the and the reciter is required to recite all ten of the children of Haman and the word Asereth, uh, which also uh, appears there, in one uh breath in order to inform the nation that uh, all of them were hanged and killed as one and it is the custom of the entirety of israel that uh the reciter of that the reciter of the Merilah recites, and as he's reciting, he unfolds uh, uh, the uh, unfolds the uh, the Merilah like an Igeret, and then when he uh, finishes his recitation, he comes and collects the and collects the entire Merilah and rolls it back together, and then he blesses the blessing. Uh, of, uh, that we mentioned in the beginning, uh, that you bless after finishing the recitation in places that had the custom to do so. Okay, here we are now beginning uh, the different uh, mitzvot that are connected, uh, the, the other laws that are connected with Purim uh, that are not specifically tied to the Merila. These two days, right, that are the 14th and the 15th of Adar, they are, it is prohibited on them to eulogize or to fast uh, for all people and in all locations, whether they are residents of Kerachin uh, of in walled cities, which uh, read the Merila on the 15th, or whether it is for residents of Ayarot, uh, right, unwalled cities, which recite on the 14th. Uh, for both of them, both on the 14th and the 15th, they are prohibited from eulogizing him. And both of these days, both the 14th and 15th, are prohibited in eulogizing and fasting, both on Adar Harishon and Adar Sheni. Um, right, even in our days, where we know in advance that there is going to be two, uh, two uh, there's going to be uh, Adar a second time, 
we still uh, do not uh, do these two things, both an Adarishon and Adarishini. All the more so in a situation where they did not know and uh, had to wait for uh, the Bedin to decide uh, to add a second Adar and only discovered it at the end of the month, as we saw in Perik Aleph. Residents of villages who pushed it earlier and recited on the Monday or Thursday that is closest to Purim, they are permitted to eulogize and fast on the day of their recitation, and they are prohibited on these two days, of the 14th and 15th, even though they do not recite the Merila on them. Uh, it is the mitzvah, it is the uh, uh, the mitzvah of the day, or the obligation of the day uh, of the 14th uh, for residents of villages and cities which are unwalled, and uh, it is the obligation of the 15th, the mitzvah of the 15th for the residents of Kerachim, of unwalled cities, to make the, that day a day of uh, feast and joy and uh, giving uh, meals. Uh, to their friends and gifts to the poor. And it is permitted to do melacha, to do uh, work uh, on these days, uh, work as is defined by in Hilchot Shukbath. It is permitted to do these on these days, and even so, it is not fit, or it's not, it not fit to do Melacha on these days. The Hachamim said, our sages said, anyone who does Melacha on the day of on the day of Purim uh, does not will not see a uh, a sign of blessing. Right? He, he won't see pro, uh, he won't see the fruits of the work that he did on that day. The residents of the villages uh, who uh, push it back earlier and recite on Monday or Thursday, right, that it, even if it is not on the 14th, if they gave out gifts, if they gave out uh, uh, money, literally, right, if they gave out money to the poor on the day of their recitation, they fulfill their obligation, even though it is not on the day of Purim. But the feast and joy, that they can only do on the 14th. And if they bring that earlier, they do not fulfill their obligation. 
But yes, and a feast of Purim, which uh, was made at night. Also, he does not fulfill his obligation through that feast. Ah, sorry, this was the beginning, uh, this was a continuation of, of Halakha Yodalit. Now we are in Halakha Tetvav. Kisad Chovat Se'uda Zo, Shiyochal Basar, Itaken Se'uda Na'a, Efi Asher Timsayado, Shote Yain, Adshish, Taker, we Revem, Beshikruth. What is the obligation of this Se'uda, uh, of this meal? Uh, uh, it is that you should, you should, uh, eat meat and uh, fix a or make a uh, a pleasant meal a a meal that is honorable and has a, a nice food and nice drink and so on and so forth uh, as much as you are able to and you should drink wine so that you uh, become intoxicated and become uh, and fall asleep in your intoxication um this does not mean that you should go wild and uh and uh and throw off all from you in the way that some people in uh our day do unfortunately but rather that you should drink a little bit so that you get a little tired from this and from that you will fall asleep או של מינת תפשיל, או שני מיני אוכלין, לחברו שנאמר, משלוח מנות, איש לרעהו, שתי מנות, לאדם אחד. And so too, uh, you're obligated to send uh, two meals of meat, or two types of cooked meals, or two types of food, to your friend. As it says, and sending meals, Man uh, 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 and sending meals a man to his friend um, because it says manot, so we see minimum, uh, uh, which is in plural. So we see here for it means uh, at least shte manot, right? Two meals. It says ish lereehu, right? To uh, to one friend, so two meals to one person. So from here we understand that the misvah is to give uh, that you, the obligation is only to give. Uh, this to one person, and you must give to that one person at least two, uh, two meals or two types of food, etc. Anyone who uh, goes beyond and gives to his friends uh, more than just two meals or just to one person, right, but gives more, this is praiseworthy. And if he does not have what to give, Mahlif im Havero, Ze Sholeyah Lize Seudato, Wazay Sholeyah Lize Seudato, Kedel Kayem, Umishlohmanot, Ishlerehu. And so if he doesn't have to give uh, to others, so then he should find one of his friends and take his Seuda, his uh, feast that he, is, he needs to have for Purim, and he should give his feast to his friend, and his friend should give his feast. Uh, to that person, and that way each of them gives each other their feasts, and they fulfill their obligation of giving Mishloach uh, Manot, uh, as well as their obligation in having a Seuda. Anachat Tetzayin. 
וחייב לחלק לעניים ביום הפורים, אין פחות משני עניים. And it is obligatory to give out to the poor on the day of Purim, not less than two poor people, right? at least two people. נותן לכל אחד מתנה אחת, או מעוף, או מיני תבשיל, או מיני אוכלין, שנאמר, מתנות לאביונים, שתי מתנות לשני עניים. And he gives uh, to each of them one uh, gift, or money, or uh, types of food, uh, or types of cooked food, or types, or types of food in general. As it says, matanot la'evyonim, two gifts to two poor people, because we have matanot in plural, so you see that it must be at least two, uh, two gifts, and because evyonim is also in plural, you see there must be at least two poor people, unlike what we had earlier, where it was ish l're'ehu, to one. ואין מדקדקים במאות פורים, אלא כל הפושט ידו ליטול נותנים לו. ואין משנים מאות פורים לסתפת החרב. We're not precise about giving money on פורים. Rather, anyone who stretches out their to take, you give him, right? So we don't sit and look to see who is this person who we're giving to. Is he really a poor person or is he not? Uh, or is he using this money for a good reason or for not, right, uh, in the way that we might be suspicious at other times, you should not do this on Purim, rather anyone who asks, uh, you should also, you should, uh, you should give them without second thought. And we do not switch the money of Purim with any other tzedakah that we give uh, any other time of year. Anachai Yodzayin. מוטב לאדם להרבות במתנות אביונים מלהרבות בסעודתו ובשלוח לרעיו, שאין שם שמחה גדולה ומפוארה, אלא לשמח לב עניים ויתומים ואלמנות ורירים, שמשמח לב האומללים האלו מדמה בשכינה, שנאמר, להחיות רוח שפלים ולהחיות לב נתקעים. It is preferable for a man to uh, give more uh, gifts to the poor, then to, it's better to give more of those than it is to, to put, give more in your uh, feast or in giving to your friends. Because there is no greater happiness or no, no, there's no greater joy uh, or um, uh, beautified joy uh, than, give, than ha making happy the hearts of the poor and the orphans and the widows and the uh, uh, converts, because a person who uh, makes uh, happy these uh, people who are uh, who, who suffer, uh, this person he, uh, is similar to the shechina, uh, to the divine presence, as it says, to uplift the or to make live the spirits of the downtrodden and to. Uh, uplift the heart of the uh, sufferers. Anacha Yudhet. Kol sifre hanevi'im vechol haketuvim atidim lipatel limot ha-mashiach fus mimerilat kester arahi qayemet kahamisha humshet Torah vechalachot shel Torah shebe'alpe she'enan betelin le'olam All of the books of the prophets 
and all of the writings uh, are uh, will uh, be um, canceled or negated in the days of Mashiach, with the exception of the of Merinat Esther, which stands uh, and and continues to have its status like the five books of the Torah and like the law of the Torah right? like the halachot of the oral law, which are not canceled ever. Right? Unlike the books of Nevi'im and Ketuvim, which do not contain law, the five books of Torah will remain forever, as Rabbeinu puts as one of his principles in his Perush, Le Perik Helik, where he says that the Torah will never be canceled or negated. Unlike what the Christians and the Muslims say about our uh, Torah. And even though the remembrance of all calamities uh, will be negated or will be canceled, right? we will no longer remember the calamities that befell us, as it says, uh, because the first calamities will be forgotten and they will be hidden from my eyes. Uh, however, the days of Purim will not be negated, as it says, and the days and these days of Purim will uh, they will not pass from within from the Jew from the Hudim, and their remembrance will not uh, will not be cancelled from their uh, descendants. With that, we end Perik Bet and the laws of Purim.